over the past a few times that we've had together, we have been considering the goodness of God, and we're going to continue in that theme. We talked about the fact that God is good in his intrinsic nature. That is that by his very essence, God is good. He is good in all of his ways. Uh, Moses said to the Lord, show me your greatness. And in response to that, the living God said, I will show you my goodness. I will let my goodness pass in front of you. There's just an inherent glory in the goodness of God that's actually greater than the greatness of God, and we praise him for it. And then we talked about the fact that God is good in creation. God saw all that he had made. It was very good. There was a time when the uh, phrase, the slogan, life is good, was actually true. And everything reflected God's goodness because God created everything good. Then we talked about the fact, thirdly, that God is good to rebels, that after creation was ruined and brought into ruin, God was good in the sense that he came to the rebels of this earth and he said to them that I'm going to do something for you, and that is I'm going to crush the serpent's head which is exactly what he did on the cross. And that was the fourth of our messages together, the goodness of God in redemption. Uh, Titus chapter 3, when the outrageous goodness and kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. All of those things, incredibly good, immensely good. And we praise God for those things. Today we want to talk about the fact that God displays his goodness in the sending of Christ Jesus the Son. That just the sending of him, the giving of the Son to us was an incredible gift because he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature and he is the upholder of all things. So if uh, this slide is available, if you look at the passage and study it, you'll discover that there's a flow and a movement to these four verses and there's a direction to it. And uh, I don't know where this came from. It's not mine. Pretty much nothing is mine when I preach or teach. And I'll confess that. But uh, he begins by giving in verses one through three reasons, or through two rather, three reasons that uh, we need to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. That is that he, there's a contrast with the prophets. He's Messiah and heir. And then it speaks of his creative work. But then the focus really is in the center on verse 3, where his identity as God the Son is revealed to us. And then we're given, as we kind of move out from there, three reasons to appreciate Jesus as the ultimate gift of God uh, in this entire universe. And so there are many reasons in verses 1 through 4 to praise God, but the ultimate reason is not for what the Lord has done for us, but specifically because of who he is. In and of himself, he is God the Son. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, speaking of Jesus. Now, for illustration purposes only, and I don't know that the writer of Hebrews had this in mind, but as you look at the passage and as you think through it, and this kind of helped me to work through it, it's almost as if he, he begins kind of like, a, like a, the picture of the temple, I would say that, picture of the temple. He begins in the outer courts, and he moves in, and then in the focus part, he actually goes right into the Holy of Holies, 
We're looking at what God in Christ has done, and then we go right into the Holy of Holies, and then it's like he retreats back out of that to say, just take a minute and appreciate this great gift of God to us who is God the Son. The Lord Jesus is the one whom we praise. It is one thing for us to be thankful for our salvation, and we certainly ought to be, but the first song that we were singing today really does summarize all of it. Is he worthy? The answer is yes, he is. Well, most of us acknowledge and appreciate gifts. It's the right thing to do. I remember a number of years ago, uh, I got one of the most special gifts that I really ever have gotten at Christmas time, and I was very thankful for it. We were at a time in our life when money was uh, just kind of tight, like most of us usually it is. We went from paycheck to paycheck, and one year we were feeling the pinch financially, and I went to Julie and I said, just make sure that this year you don't overspend for Christmas. And so uh, we began to get ready for Christmas, and uh, I did the normal, obligatory look at every closet, look in the attic, look in the basement, trying to figure out what I got for Christmas, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I remembered that at one point I had said, you know, what would be really helpful for me is if I could get a laptop, uh, I would love to use it, you know, in terms of the ministry, and it would just be so very helpful to have one. Well, the second the words came out of my mouth, I wished that I hadn't said them. Because if you know my wife, you know that she's the type of person who figures out a way to make something happen. So I repeated to her, make sure this year you don't overspend for Christmas. And I left it at that. Well, Christmas time came, and it was my turn to uh, get the gifts. And so uh, the first gift I got was this little tiny thing, and it was in a little package. I opened it up, and it was a miniature laptop. And I thought, very funny. (laughs) And so I set it to the side. I was pretty happy to get that. And then the second thing that I got was was a videotape. Now, if you don't know what a videotape is... It's about a mile's worth of magnetic tape, and you put an MP4 on the thing, and it's in a little plastic container. You know what? Forget it. That's what it is. So I took the videotape, and I put it into the VCR. Now, if you don't know what a VCR is, (laughs) we won't go there either. Regardless, uh, back in the day, there was an advertisement. It was this red-haired guy who was as obnoxious as could possibly be, And he was selling Dell computers on the uh, television commercials. And uh, when he got to the end of it, Dell was supposed to be like Tesla, in a sense. It wasn't. It wasn't any better than any other computer. But if you had a Dell computer, you were kind of better than anybody else. And so he got on, and at the end of of the commercial, he would lean down and say, Dude, it's a Dell. So I popped the videotape in, and up comes this commercial. I'm like, tell me that you did not spend money on a Dell computer. We all laughed together. And then she gave me this little greeting card. And in the greeting card, it said, go look under the bed. Sure enough, went into the bedroom under the bed. There was this box. And inside that box, guess what? Dude, it's a Dell. (laughs) Well, I was so very happy about all of that. 
And uh, was uh, one of those special gifts that you remember because she had apparently gone to all of the family and some of the neighbors to collect money. Not really sure. But she made it happen for me. And it was just this wonderful demonstration of love and thoughtfulness. And I appreciated that very much. As you think about that, you realize that uh, there are gifts that are better than other gifts. Some that are just excelling in uh, glory. And one of them is this God has given to us the ultimate gift, who is Christ Jesus, the Son. In verses 1 and 2, the author anticipates the glory of Jesus Christ himself, and he gives us three different reasons why we are to acknowledge his glory. And the first reason is this, because Jesus' word is preeminent. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but... And here's the contrast, a big contrast. In these last days, he, God, has spoken to us by his son. And so the contrast really is between Moses and all of the prophets and what they had to say and Jesus Christ. Peter reminds us that these men spoke from God as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And so we're not talking about voices that were insignificant we were, ta- we're talking about people who were authoritative and spoke on behalf of God. He's not saying that they were inaccurate. He's not saying that they were misguided. He simply is saying that Jesus is infinitely more praiseworthy and credible and authoritative. Luke chapter 9, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Psalm chapter 2, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Now this contrast really sets in, uh, in clear review for every generation the fact that there is a voice that is speaking to us and it is a voice that we had better listen to. It's a transcendent testimony. God has spoken to us by his son. So the first contrast we see is the contrast between the prophets and God the Son. But in every generation, there is this same kind of tussle going on. Who is it that I'm going to listen to? And God has something to say through the ultimate gift, his ultimate gift, Christ Jesus our Lord. That that which God has to say is full of credibility. It's full of wisdom. It's full of goodness. And we would do well to listen to it. It's better than what I have to say. It's better. Nobody said amen. It's better than what you have to say. It's better than what anybody has to say. Regardless of their station. Or standing before God. In these last days. God has spoken to us. By his son. Now a couple of important observations. About verses 1 and 2. First of all. Is this observation. God has not remained silent. God has never been silent. God has always been speaking. He is the speaking God. He's a God who still speaks. He is a God who will speak on into eternity. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Well, he's still speaking. And if people don't hear God speaking, that's not on God. That's on them. Secondly, in every era, in every time, and in every place... God continues to speak. Long ago at many times and in many ways and in many places, God spoke. He's still speaking, 
But God has always been a God who speaks. And then number three, specifically, God speaks with authority to people and through people. Many times, many ways, God spoke to our fathers, and he spoke by the prophets. And that voice of the prophets was compelling. It was authoritative. So if for any reason uh, you and I or anybody don't hear, if we're not listening and we do not hear either through general revelation or specific revelation, it isn't God who is at fault. It's always us. We have a God who speaks. So the contrast between the prophets on the one hand and then the gazillions of voices that are part of our generation and every generation, there's this contrast that's being made. Now the world is full of a billion voices. I think we all know that. Many of them maybe aren't really worth listening to. And a handful of them maybe are just something we ought not to listen to. But either way, if you're honest about it, everybody else's speaking voice will ultimately be lost somewhere out there in the cosmos. Do you really think that 100 years from now or 200 years from now, if God tarries, anybody is going to know what you said or thought? It's just the way it is. And yet God's voice goes on forever. One voice is supremely worth listening to because it is God's voice. It is the voice of Christ Jesus, our Lord. His word, number one, is preeminent. Even the most credible other voices pale in comparison to the speaking voice of the living God, Christ Jesus. The second reason that we should acknowledge Christ is that his heritage is preeminent. We're speaking about his lineage, that his place within the Godhead, that he is the son, his son whom he appointed, verse 2b, heir of all things, God in Christ, Jesus, the son, he is the heir of all things. Colossians chapter 1 reminds us that all things were created for him. In other words, for his exclusive possession. Why is that? Well, because of who he is as God the Son. He is the heir of all things. Theologians tell us that um, Jesus is the heir of all things for one primary reason, and it is simply this, because in the Godhead they determined that Jesus would be the heir of all things. We don't know when it happened, We don't know exactly how. We just know that it's a fact that Jesus is the heir of all things. We're told that this is a logical condition that just flows out of the fact that he is God the Son. And that as God the Son, he inherits everything that has been created. Which means that everything in creation at one point, or at some point, will ultimately belong to him. And it is the full extension of the authority that he has as God the Son. So let it just sink in for a minute. Everything belongs to God the Son. Everything. He is preeminent in every way. So everything that moves, everything that breathes, guess what? Belongs to Jesus. Anything that doesn't move, (laughs) doesn't breathe, it also belongs to Christ Jesus the Son. So when we wonder 
over this fact that all things belong to Christ, there's really only two things that we can come up with that will explain it. And the first is that he is heir of all things, and the reason that he is is because of his position. He is God the Son. The answer to why Jesus is the one who inherits everything is in Psalm 2, where we read this, the Lord said to me, you are my son. You are my son. Ask of me. I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. No one else can make that claim. Only Jesus is God, the Son. That's the first reason. Second reason is because of his obedience in redemption. That he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so when Jesus came into the world, he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O Lord, Hebrews chapter 10. Revelation 13, Jesus is the perfect lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. In Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. No one else can claim these things. No one else is God the Son. No one else is God the Savior. And so we're talking about the goodness of God in giving us Christ. The first is that his word is preeminent. The second is that his heritage is preeminent. Think about it. Isn't it interesting that in the day that we live in, the three things that we're going to look at, reasons why we ought to acknowledge, and the third one is the lordship of Christ, those are the things that the whole world is clamoring about. It's probably always been that way. Maybe it's just more obvious. We don't really know. But today, there is an endless clamoring for whose voice is going to to be preeminent. Whose word? Who are we going to listen to? Who gets the final say? And with all the ruckus, and with all the nonsense, we're just more confused than we've ever been. Because everybody's got a voice, but their voice is not preeminent. Second thing we squabble about is who owns it all. I mean, all of us are wondering, well, is that mine? Is that yours? We we wrestle through it. And who has the authority and who has the right to do whatever it is that we think we ought to do as we live on this planet? Well, there's really only one who owns it all. He is the preeminent one. And the third one is, wait a minute, who brought all of it about? Where did it all come from? Speaking back to origins, which is the third thing, the lordship of Christ. He is the one who created the world, and he did it with exquisite and with all powerful strength and skill and beauty. You and I didn't create the universe. You and I uh, didn't uh, create all that is from nothing, but someone, of course, did that. Jesus is the one through whom God created the world. And if that's the case, there's another issue. Because when we wrestle over these three things, whose voice, whose heritage, whose lordship, the ultimate problem is not information. We're not worried about gathering information. The real issue is lordship. And it's always lordship. Because if Jesus created all things, he is Lord. And the only option is for us to worship, which is, of course, the one thing that human beings don't want to do. There's some collaborating verses. Colossians chapter 3, or 1 rather, all things were created by him. John chapter 1, all things were made through him. This means, of course, that everything that exists belongs to him. That is, that, that existence itself is from him. It also means that ownership is him. So when the Lord looks off into outer space and sees Jupiter, he is absolutely right when he says, that's mine. 
When he says, well, there is no Pluto, Mars, that's mine. And when he says, sees time, he says, time, that's mine as well. Space, that's mine. And when he looks at you and me, says the same thing. Mine. I created you. Therefore, I am Lord. And then the third thing is lordship. As exalted son and creator, he is Lord. And of course, that's what our world resents. So in review of the first three, Jesus' word is preeminent. His heritage or his place in the Godhead is preeminent. And his lordship is preeminent. And then the author kind of draws us in, as I said earlier, almost in the very holy of holies because he wants us to stop. He wants us to behold. And he wants us to be lost in wonder in what we discover there in the very holy of holies. Number four, Jesus alone is preeminent because he is God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So now we see another contrast, and let's not be afraid to see that contrast. And the contrast really is between Jesus, creator, and everything else. That's where the contrast begins. John Piper has a way of putting things that puts things in good perspective for us. He's written a book that's called Don't Waste Your Life. Highly recommend the book. The premise is that if we're not careful, you and I, we are going to spend our lives, or at least a good portion of our lives, Uh, doing things or seeking after things that are going to pass away. And if you think through that, I mean, a great deal of our lives are spent doing that because we don't have a whole lot of choice. But in another sense, we've got a great deal of choice. We can spend our lives proclaiming and living out this great gospel of Christ Jesus because he's worthy of it and because he is preeminent. The, stay, uh, the, the, the issue is that, that we probably need to be more deliberate about how well we're sold out for the sake of Christ. And that's one of the responses that comes out of this next chunk that we're going to look at. And Piper is just saying the gospel is really very, very urgent. And I'm thinking maybe it's more urgent than it's ever been. Maybe there's a whole lot less time left for us than we realize. Certainly there's more, less time than there's ever been, but maybe we just be aware of it. And he says this, he says, life is about the greatness and the goodness of God not the significance of man. Life is about the greatness and goodness of God, not about the significance of man. And then he says this, God made man small, very small indeed, and the universe big because God had something to say. And what he has to say is in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In other words, Jesus is the outshining of God, that everything that we know of God, we know because of what Jesus Christ is, because he is God. Now, most people will never see it, this glory of the risen Christ. And uh, we won't see it because we're dull by nature, D-U-L-L, dull by nature and by choice. Second Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That's a reality that we need to deal with every day. 
Yet we can see evidence of it everywhere. For example, in creation, in the moral law, movements of history, and in God's eternal glory and authority as it's already being demonstrated on the earth. But just think of it in these terms. That there is nobody, or rather, if, if there, let me re- rewind. That's when you're talking about a VC, a tape, a videotape in the VCR. You rewind it. So let me back up a little bit. So if there is no Jesus, if he doesn't exist, guess what? You don't exist either. <laughs> and I don't exist either. In fact, nothing at all exists because Jesus is the one who created all things. And there's no way to see God apart from Jesus Christ as well. And so the first marker of uh, this essence or this understanding of this walking into the presence of God is to realize that he is the radiance of the glory of God, which just simply means that when you see Jesus, you're seeing the outshining of God in human form. The second manifest, the second marker is the exact essence of God, who is Jesus Christ himself. So Hebrews chapter one, verse three tells us these, he's the exact imprint of his nature. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us the glory of Christ who actually is the image of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Meaning that if you look at Jesus, and if you look at God, and of course God the Spirit as well, there are no variations. There are no deficiencies. There are no defects. There are no differences at all except that Christ now has a body because he is God. He is the exact representation of God, the image, the imprint. And so he is the radiance of the glory of God. Secondly, he's the exact imprint. Number three, he upholds all things by the word of his power. He's the sustainer. He is literally the upholder of all things. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he's before all things and that in him all things hold together. Commentaries tell us that the word uphold here has this interesting nuance to it that you wouldn't get if you didn't think through it. And the nuance is that it means that something is going on, that that something is in constant motion, it's in constant change, things are always moving, and that's what Jesus is the upholder of. Not something that's static and just like a, like a barbell, you just kind of know. This is something that's ever-changing, ever-moving, and of course it transforms down through history, and it does seem like everything in this universe is changing all the time. It is. And yet even in that, Jesus himself is literally ever and always upholding every molecule, every thought, every part of this universe, everything that's been created. So he does oversee the physical mechanics of the universe. So he he oversees the stars and the planets and the galaxies and your heartbeat. He's the upholder. And the interplay of nations, things that are going on. We think things are out of control, but they're not. Because Jesus is the upholder of all things. And all of history and all of time and all of space, all of these things, forever and forever and forever, he is the upholder of all things. So we're just saying things are not aimless. There is a pattern. There is a movement. There is a purpose. All of it because of Christ. And so you see the contrast. In comparison, we have the preeminence of Christ 
And we have to ask this little question as we move out of the Holy of Holies, out of this little inner part, and we move back to the outside of the passage. And these are the questions we ought to ask. The first one is this, are you the radiance of the glory of God? Is anyone you know the radiance of the glory of God? Am I the radiance of the glory of God? The obvious answer is eh, not even close. <laughs> All right. He is preeminent because he is the ra- or rather evidence of that is that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Are you the exact imprint of his nature? We know the answer. Are you the upholder of all things? Sometimes I think I am, (laughs) but I know I'm not because there's only one who is worthy of that. Someone holds this universe. Someone holds the nations. Someone holds time and space. Someone holds our lives in his hand, our future or our salvation or our condemnation, all of it held by this preeminent one. Jesus alone really is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the essence, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the sustainer, the upholder of all things. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that this Jesus is preeminent and that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so for the sake of astonishment and joy, isn't it great that we get to appreciate and confess that now? How in the world do you quantify this surpassing greatness of Jesus the Christ? We don't. We just bow and we worship him. Well, if you read the bulletin, you know that we're starting a new Sunday school class uh, beginning today. And the whole summer is going to be on Romans chapter 8, and some have called that the greatest chapter in the Bible. It certainly is a great chapter, and it's the whole, all of Romans is this really incredible masterpiece of, of salvation and justification by faith alone, and how all of that works out. And I hope you'll all join us. I think it's going to be very good. Derek Thomas, Dr. Derek Thomas is He gives like 20-minute videos each Sunday, and then the rest we have some teaching that goes along with that. I think you'll enjoy it very much. I expect it to be very good. But the goal of, of that series, of course, is to see the glory of redemption, how magnificent it is, how astonishing it is that that God would bring about salvation through Christ. But the ultimate goal is bigger than that, and it's beyond that. It's almost as if, we like what we've been talking about this morning, that you begin to move towards the Lord, and then you get right into his presence to see the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and the fact that he upholds all things by the word of his power. And that's the goal. To actually see beyond even salvation, as wonderful as that is, and to see the astonishing glory of God the Son. Personally, I'm uh, finding in my walk with the Lord that down through the years, it's been fairly easy to be amazed at salvation. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. I'm so glad that it is. And today, you know, uh, is he worthy? Is he worthy? Yeah, you know, because essentially we're thinking in terms of our redemption. So I'm able to kind of marvel and wonder and, you know, sing in my soul and sometimes out loud about the wonders of redemption uh, that we're chosen, that we're favored, that we're justified, that we're being sanctified, that one day God's going to translate us into glory. And there are days when I'm like, it can't happen soon enough. 
All of us understand it. And we're all there. But there are times when I think I'm still a baby when it comes to being amazed and to be being held in wonder just purely at who Jesus actually is in his essence and to be captivated like some of the Puritans and like some of the old timers were, were able to just be in awe of Christ Jesus himself. That's the goal of the scriptures. And that's the goal, really, of this whole business of recognizing the preeminence of Christ in all of these ways. So you know, I'm, I'm saying with an eager, with an open heart at times, Lord, I love all that stuff about salvation. I do. But show me your glory. And all of us are there. Show us your glory. Well, verses 1 and 2, they anticipate the glory of Christ. His word's preeminent. His heritage is preeminent. His lordship is preeminent. And then the author draws us near in verse 3, right into the very being of who Christ Jesus is, the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of his glory. He upholds all things, literally the upholder of all things. And then in verses 3 and 4, he establishes the glory of the Messiah and he is in essence saying appreciate him for some of these things. It's accomplishment, it's exaltation, it's sovereignty. We could take hours to appreciate this. And I think all of you hope that I don't take hours to appreciate this. We can probably wrap it up in a couple of minutes, so let's do that. So in the next two verses, we're given a better appreciation of the surpassing triumphs of Christ Jesus our Lord. That is that God gave us the best in Christ, not only because of who he is in his essential nature, but also because of what he has done. And so what is the first of these accomplishments? Well, verse 3 says, after making purification for sins, he sat down. And so his accomplishment is preeminent. Notice the past tense of the verb. It's already accomplished having already made purifications. It's all done. It's something that happened in the, in the past, and yet it has ongoing effects down throughout all of eternity. And we read about in Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have already, we already have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Someone had to bring redemption. No one else could. There was nobody, there is nobody, there ever, never will be anyone else who is able to make purification for sins. Only Christ Jesus, only God the Son had the credentials and the capacity to do that. The second reason to appreciate his triumphs, number six, is his exaltation is preeminent. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And we sung this song, or we sang this song, we did something with this song today. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and language and people. Revelation chapter 5. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, God the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Because of his great position, yes, he is God the Son. Because of what he has done, yes, he is God the Savior. The Lord Jesus rightly belongs at the right hand of the seat, the right hand of God, and no one else does. 
and no one else ever will. And then finally, the third reason to appreciate the triumphs of Christ is his sovereignty. His sovereignty in uh, is preeminent as well. Having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The name King of Kings, Lord of Lords, all the other ones. Redeemer, creator, defender, protector, friend, all of that wrapped up into the name. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that he deserves, that he is worthy of. We exalt in those things. Of course, that's the reason. He's sovereign. That's the reason that every knee will bow. What a wonderful gift we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has given us the ultimate gift in Christ And we do praise him for giving us Christ the Son. Well, by way of application, we just look back at it again and understand that it's a big contrast. All of this is a contrast. Jesus is preeminent. Preeminent to what? Preeminent to whom? Everything. He's the ultimate gift of God. And so uh, if there are times when our little tiny squeaky voices say, you know what? There are times when I think my word is preeminent. And my opinion is whatever. Just remember it isn't, right? God's word in Christ is preeminent. Long ago in many ways, many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. One day that will cause every knee to shake. Except those who love him, of course. Number two, is there anybody you know who's heir of all things? (laughs) Not me. The son whom he appointed, God the Father appointed, heir of all things, he possesses it all. What have you created that compares to the universe? An easy question. The contrast is so obvious. Through whom he created the world with exquisite and all-powerful skill and beauty. And is there anyone here who's the radiance of the glory of God? The answer is no. Or the exact imprint of his nature? The answer is no. Or the upholder of the universe? The answer is no. Christ alone is the one who is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature and who upholds all things by the word of his power. And there is a sense in which the author of Hebrews is saying, don't fall asleep. Don't get lost in in who Jesus was in time past or in what he is going to accomplish and did accomplish. But be amazed and held in wonder by the glory of who he is, God's ultimate gift. Because of that, he is, his accomplishments are preeminent. His exaltation is preeminent. Sovereignty is preeminent, uh, preeminent. Of all that God could have given to us, nothing displayed his infinite goodness quite like God the Son. Well, that old laptop. Yeah, we're back to that. It was a wonderful gift. It really was from a wonderful person. It was true love in the form of a laptop. Dude, it's a Dell. I said it for about five hours that day. I think everyone was sick of it. But eventually, that old laptop failed You know, even Dell computers fall apart at some point. I had to replace the hard drive at one point and then upgrade the RAM because it wasn't adequate. And I remember a couple of times there was that blue screen of death. Any computer person knows 
the old windows used to fall apart that way. And you had to upgrade or repair or whatever. And I remember um, that the, you know, when you'd lift the lid of the thing, that where the hinges were connected, they were made out of metal, but the rest of it was made out of this cheap old plastic. And so after you open and open and open and open, it's like the door, the hinge kind of broke the plastic on the thing and it was couldn't keep the thing together and the little wires that held it together came out and eventually it just passed away. So we uh, decided, I decided uh, I couldn't throw it away. I mean, it was a great gift, right? It had great sentimental value. So I put it on the shelf there in the, in the basement. It sat there for a year or two or three. And then we discovered, I discovered that it was there and we had a memorial service. And uh, today that Dell computer is somewhere in a landfill, I think out in Ohio, I'm not sure, but it's gone forever. How many laptops would it take, really? How many laptops would it take for us to be filled with everlasting joy and gladness. And how many gazillions of, of other things, right? Whether they're relationships, wonderful relationships, wonderful gifts, wonderful experiences, wonderful people, wonderful whatever. How many of those would it take for us to be happy forever? We understand why Jesus is preeminent in all ways. Because he's the only one who can bring that to us. Why does it matter? Because we could have gotten a gazillion other gifts and none of them would have compared to this ultimate gift, the gift that we have in God the Son. Of all that God could have given to us, nothing displayed his infinite goodness as did God the Son. And to that, I, I, I think we say that, that how wonderful I mean, how wonderful, 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 how wonderful is this goodness of God as it's displayed to us in the giving of God the Son. So let's exalt in this Son together. Part of me wants to say, dude, <laughs> this is how God showed his love for us because he sent his one and only Son into the world. Loving Father, we come to you with hearts that really are full of gladness. You have done what is unthinkable in giving to us God the Son, fully God, fully man, not just because of who he is, his position within the Godhead and his position in eternity past and in eternity future, but because, or even because of all that he's done for us in, re, in redemption, but because of who he is. We pray that you would cause us to know Lord Jesus, that we would know you better, that would be drawn to you. Grant this to us, we pray. We need your help in it. We confess that, but we ask for it in Jesus' name.